Romans chapter 6 is where we'll be at this evening. And uh, <clears throat> had a great time. I've enjoyed both nights. I especially enjoyed last night. And um, I believe that's the first time I've heard Brother Joe Camilleri preach. I've been in meeting with him. And uh, that's an experience, amen. I was out of breath just watching him. Somebody gave him a towel to mop that up with, amen. But uh, as a blessing, praying and watching. And, uh, and a watchdog named Fred, amen, that can't bark and is blind. And then uh, the message on compassion was just as good, but even more painful. <laughs> amen. <clears throat> I remember that today about having compassion when that lady came out and chewed us out for blocking the exit over there. Amen. I'll stop right there. Uh, but we'll begin our reading. We'll begin our reading in the Bible here in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And it starts off with a question. It says, what shall we say then? Well, if he's asking you a question, what is it that we're, what should we say to? What's he talking about? What shall we say then? To what? To what Paul, through the Holy Ghost, has written to us in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, especially in verse 5. Do you recall what the close of chapter 5 speaks of? It says, for sin abounded. Do we have any abounding sinners in here? He says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And uh, as one old time preacher said, if you have never been accused, preacher friend or, or faithful witness for Jesus Christ, if you've never been accused of, the big word is antinomianism, which simply means no law, it doesn't matter. If you've never heard the, here's what I'm talking about. You preach the gospel, you explain what happens when a person believes the gospel and someone comes up and says, well, if I believe that, then I guess you could just get saved and go out and live any way you wanted to live. If you've never been charged with that, then you probably aren't preaching grace as it's found in the New Testament. Because the Holy Ghost anticipates the argument. He anticipates that when you really present this for what it's saying, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You really present that as it is, and you take man out of the mix. He gets no part of the glory. He gets no part of the salvation. He simply throws himself at the mercy of God in Christ Jesus and finds a complete, full, final, forever pardon for his sins through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you present it that way, there will be somebody say, well, if I believe that, then I would do this. Well, we know what's in your heart. The best way to answer him is, yep, we do do whatever we want to do. We live for God. That's what people that get saved want to do. They want to live for the Lord. So the question in chapter 6, verse 1 is, what shall we say then? He's saying, what do we say to this glorious doctrine of justification by faith? Plus nothing, minus nothing. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we say? He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's what people who are ignorant believe. You say, well, you're being a little harsh on them. No, I'll, I'll prove that in a moment. If you're ignorant about what's really been being discussed, then you would think that, well, that would mean you can just continue in sin and grace will abound and it won't matter. But here's what he says. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, you have not really gotten what I've been saying if that's what you think. So chapter 6, he's going to expound some more about 
uh, how we ought to understand or what we need to understand about salvation. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, that means from now on, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, and can I say if you have trusted him, you are dead with him. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Death did everything it could to the Savior. It did its worst and couldn't hold him. So that means he's king. He has the keys of death and hell. So he's not going to die again. Death took its best swing. He tasted death for every man. Death couldn't hold him. He got up from the dead. And by the way, if you don't think people are concerned about dying, just look over the last 12 months. I, I'm telling you, I, Danville, Kentucky is a pretty liberal town. I was behind these people a few weeks ago, and in the, you know, our church has scripture magnets on the tailgates on the car, like many of you. But this person had a homemade sign. It was done up really nice, Brother Fleur, and it said, Your choice, my consequence. Masket or casket? <laughs> Somebody has been, I mean, they're ODing on CNN. I mean, they got that straight lined. All right. But here's the thing. When you know the one that kicked death in the teeth, caskets don't really scare us anymore. Amen. Like B.R. Lakin said one time, Oh, death, where is thy sting? You know why it doesn't have a stinger anymore? Because our Savior took the stinger and ripped it out. Amen. And so now all death can do is buzz around your head, but it ain't got no stinger anymore. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, verse 10, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you for what we've enjoyed this week the food, the fellowship, and the feast that we have enjoyed out of the Word of God. Thank you for my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I appreciate this pastor and this church and the privilege of standing behind this pulpit. I don't take this opportunity lightly. Would you please use me as your vessel this evening, Heavenly Father? And I pray you would help your people from your Word tonight. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, you heard some preaching last night about a, from a Buffalo Bill fan. And one thing we know about the Buffalo Bills, they haven't had a whole lot of success at the Super Bowl business, amen? 
But at least they got there. Uh, you're hearing tonight from uh, originally a Cleveland Browns fan. Yeah, sorry. Amen. That's Hey, thank God we got some Holy Ghost filled people here. And the point is this, uh, you know something, I don't care. I, I'm not a fair weather fan. I didn't suddenly become a Patriots fan after they won their 18th Super Bowl or whatever, how many they won. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, okay? I don't worry about it as much anymore and all that stuff, but I will say this. When they do win someday, I will be able to say I stood with them until they got a victory, amen. And you can guarantee that I'll not be going to the Dorito Bowl during the Super Bowl, amen. But here's the point I want to make is this chapter is about victory. And I don't ever want to get used, used to being a loser. See, victory and, vict and, and winning is the opposite of losing. Okay, this church is called Victory Baptist Church. Okay, we sing songs like Victory in Jesus. Would you come to a church that was called Defeated Baptist Church? Loser Baptist Church? I mean, you know, where do you go? I go down to Loser. Where do you go? I go to Defeated. No, we don't think that way. But now how, why is it that we are content to live that way? When God has given us a complete gospel, the full gospel is not just that your sins are forgiven and that you've been redeemed by the blood and one day you'll go to heaven. That's part of it. But that doesn't end right there. After justification in chapters 4 and 5, we get into what that means for us today, right now. God didn't save us just so we can get out of hell. That's one of the wonderful blessings of salvation. But we emphasize that way too much and we forget this. God wants glory out of our lives. And the only way he's going to get that is how we live now. And too often times, Baptists have just given up to the, well, you know, it's just because I can do. I just, you know, it's just kind of in me. It's in my bloodline. You know, preacher, that old man, he's hard. he dies hard and all this other stuff. But when you come to compare those mentalities and that um, kind of, defeated Christianity, it doesn't match Romans 6. And you know something, if I started tonight my reading in verse 12, where some people do, they'll say, hey, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And they start telling you how you're supposed to behave, how you're supposed to live. That's, verse 13 is not the place to start. You say, how do you know? Because it says in verse, I'm sorry, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That's verse 12. It says, therefore... So there's a therefore because before he gets to your behavior, he first gives you some information you need to know so that your behavior can be empowered to live to the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's crucial what comes before verse 12 to get that down. Because before we came to Jesus Christ, we were the servants of sin. Not so anymore. We're not servants to sin, but we were. That's how we learned to live. Old patterns and old ideas die hard. And the truth of the matter is, uh, this Bible is going to give us, these first 11 verses are going to give us the information we need to know in order to have victory. I read part of a book called When I Can Read My Title Clear, and it's, a, it's an old book about uh, the slaves down south that uh, there many times the law was that you, would, you were not allowed to teach slaves how to read because information is powerful stuff. Okay, so a lot of those slaveholders were born again believers. I know, I know I'm treading on 
eggshells right here, but I'm just telling you that we're talking history right now, okay? Okay, and down south and even up north at one time, some there were slaveholding states in America. Okay, well, those people, many times, if they had a, a, a master that was born again, many times they would teach their slaves how to read. And they would teach them how to read because they want them to come to know the Lord Jesus and they would teach them out of a Bible. Uh, in fact, uh, General Stonewall Jackson uh, taught the four slaves that he owned. He taught them how to read. He would have Sunday school classes right in his home in Lexington, Virginia, teaching them how to read from a Bible so they could come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen. You're not going to hear that on CNN, Brother Joe. You're, you're going to hear it here, amen. But the truth of the matter, they said one time one of those uh, slave owners ha have gathered everybody up in a room and he was doing, you know, teaching on a chalkboard, you know, how to learn how to read. And he would read to them to start the class from the Bible. And then he would use those passages and put them on the board and talk about different things. And one time he left, he dismissed them. They went out to do whatever they do, but he came back. He had forgotten his Bible on the podium he was using. And he came in and one of the little slave girls, she's about 12 years old, had jumped up on a stool. And the book says that she had her ear down to the Bible. He said, what are you doing? She said, this book speaks. And she said, it talks to you and you can make it talk. And she said, I came and put my ear down because I was wondering if it would talk to me. That was a slave that was wanting to learn the words of the Bible. And listen, she didn't understand all that she was saying. But you know what? All of us were slaves, servants to sin. Hey, you ought to be like that slave girl and put our ear down to the book and say, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Because I'm no longer a servant to sin. I'm now a servant to Jesus Christ. So teach me, tell me what it is that I need to know. Because I'm going to tell you something. God didn't just forgive our sins and wash us clean to allow us to continue in the mud down here. You remember the old song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Have you ever thought about what you sing? Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the um, water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. What's the next words? Be of sin the what? Double cure. You ever wonder, what's the double cure? Save from wrath, there's forgiveness. And make me pure, there's sanctification. The blood does both works. And we need to get interested in that middle work. Uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers calls it the missing miracle. It's a miracle that God would justify sinners by faith. It's a miracle that one day we're going to bodily be redeemed at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. But between justification and glorification, where's that missing miracle of being able to walk uprightly in victory? As a victorious Christian, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. But he said, therefore, in other words, there's information you need to get a hold of. So let's look at three things. Number one, from verses 3 through verses 10, verse 10, excuse me, from verse 3 to verse 10, we have some information, some facts, if you will. Did you know that in the Bible, typically this is a generalization, but there is either a command to be obeyed, or a truth to be believed. And right here from, and that's simple, but it's so true. Because if you ever get those things mixed up, you're going to be a, you're going to be discouraged and you're going to be confused and you're going to throw in the towel. You say, what do you mean? Verses three, four, 
5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 have no commands in them to be obeyed. They say, okay, what's the big deal? The big deal is these are truths to be believed. Now look what he says in verse 3. Know ye not? You know what that means? Paul knows that if you're talking like these people in verses 1 and 2, you are ignorant of some things about your salvation and about your Savior. Know ye not indicates uh, you're not up to date on the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He goes on in verse 6 to say, knowing this, verse 9, knowing that Christ died, these sort of things. In other words, there's some information you must know as a saved person, and I'm fearful that many people don't know this. He says, know you not? And he begins to talk about what it is that they're ignorant of. I had a man over my house um, from our church one evening. We had supper, and the family was there. And I forget what was going on, but uh, I had to, we had to go somewhere, and, and the wives were still upstairs and we were down there. We were getting ready to go to, I don't know where, but we got in my truck and I turned the key in there and it didn't start. And uh, he said, I bet you got a bad battery. We jumped out, throw the hood up, check. He said, yeah. He goes, this is an old battery. He goes, so preacher, go get me some tools. We'll get this battery off. I said, all right, I'll be right back. So I came out there and I had a pair of channel locks. And he looked, he says, what are those? I said, we're going to take the battery off. He's like, you don't use channel locks to take a battery off. I said, well, you do at my house. He said, but you, got, you need this. I said, no, nah, brother, I don't know anything about tools. He said, you need this kind of ratchet or whatever. I, said, I don't know. I said, I know that I can take these channel locks and I can make them the size of these bolts right here and turn them all. Okay. I, I said, we're, we're going to do it. It's going to take a little longer. We're going to get it done. So, you know, he was just, he couldn't believe that. He said, you, you, don't, you don't take a battery off this way. I said, watch. And we did it, but we did it the long way around. And he was, he was telling my wife, he told the people in church, he goes, man, pastor, he, he knows the Bible. He doesn't know nothing about tools. <laughs> I said, you're right about that. I don't know anything about tools, and I really don't care to learn. I, I'm sorry. You tool guys, it's got stuff that you can roll it out, you know, and you got to climb a stepladder to get in the top, you know, thing right here. I, I, I just don't get all that. I don't understand that. I never learned about that. I am ignorant of that. I just don't know. Now, if somebody comes in here with a banjo and an upright bass and a mandolin, says, hey, uh, let's play a little uh, Blue Ridge Cabin home, amen, and be flat, kick it off, amen. I'm with you. I'm not ignorant about that. So we're all ignorant about certain things, and some things just don't matter. Hey, man, I got that battery off. We got over and got a battery. It was all right. It's okay to be ignorant about some things, but hey, there's some things you cannot be ignorant about, and this is one of them. And if you're defeated, it's because you're ignorant of these truths that we're going to look at here. Ignorance can be deadly. And this is one of those places, listen, that your ignorance is no good. Paul asks, no, you're not uh, that, that we've been baptized into Jesus Christ. And listen, most people are clueless about who they are in Jesus Christ and what they've been given. And so you say, what have we been given? Well, it says we were baptized into Jesus Christ. And it says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He says, for if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. This is the information. These are the facts, church. If you're saved, you should know this. Your old man is crucified with him. That's a fact. So I, I, don't, I don't feel like my, my old man. It didn't say feeling this. 
He said, well, what, what, no, what, now, brother, I'll talk, what's the experience i got to have to get through Romans 6? There is no experience for you to go through. These are the facts. You, these are the facts. This is the truth about you. Now, you know what's bad is most of the time, you know what we get hung up on as soon as we hit verses 3 and 4? We want to start arguing with people about baptism. And, and that's not, listen, baptism doesn't necessarily have anything to do with water when you read it. And this one's bone dry. Say, what do you mean? Hey, think about it. It's real simple. I know I'm in a Bible-believing church. You've heard these kind of lessons before, but Jesus Christ, after having been baptized at the hands of John the Baptist, nine chapters later in the book of Luke in chapter 12, he says to his disciples as they're heading for Jerusalem, his heart is heavy, and he says, he goes, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and oh, how am I straightened till it be accomplished, exclamation point. In other words, there was passion, what he was saying. He had been baptized in water. He was thinking ahead about that baptism of wrath. He was going to go down under the wrath of the Father and be baptized under his wrath and meet the demands of the law as he hung on the cross. Listen, baptism just means being put into something, putting under something, if you will. Now, the blessing is when he cried out, it is finished. He came back up on the other side of that baptism victorious, having absorbed in his body all the wrath that God had upon my transgressions of the law and your transgressions of the law. Amen. He became a curse for us. Amen. And so therefore my curse and my wrath is already passed and God the Father is satisfied. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That's a baptism and there's no water involved there. In fact, he didn't get any water. He went down under the wrath of God and he stayed there till justice was satisfied. Hey, hey, this is important stuff. And right here he says there's a baptism and it's a supernatural baptism. I believe you can connect verses 3 and 4 with 1 Corinthians 12, 13 where it says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. The moment you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, things took place in your heart and in your soul that you had no idea took place, but they're true of every born-again believer. And you cannot be ignorant of these things or you will live a defeated life. Because he says, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. You need to know that you're hidden away in Christ. You died with him, with him. He died for you, but in this chapter, you're dying with him, if you will. You died with him. You were buried with him. You're, you're spiritually raised to walk in newness of life. That henceforth we should not serve sin. From now on, sin is not, we are not under its power any longer. We have been removed just as Jesus Christ was removed from the realm of sin and death down here in a human body, never to die again. We have been removed from the rule and the reign and the rulership of sin. Sin's power has been broken completely, once, finally, and forever. That's the facts. That's the information you have to have in order to live a victorious life. If you don't know this, you're going to continue to behave as a slave to sin. Think about this. The 13th Amendment was actually what legally freed all slaves in America. And it wasn't the Emancipation Proclamation. It was the 13th Amendment that made it officially in the law books. That was passed on December the 18th, 1865. There were slaves in... Kentucky never left the Union, but she was a slave-holding state. 
She had slaves well into 1866, but not legally. Now think about this. On December 18th, it's legal declaration across all the United States, north and south, east and west. All slaves are free. There's nobody legally that can be held any longer. Do you think on December 19th that there weren't slaves out in the slaves' quarters in Kentucky? There sure were, but they were free. But they weren't living like they were free. But it was all legal. It was all done. They could have walked off the plantation, but they didn't do it. You say, why? They were born that way, and they just said, this is the way I was born. This is probably the way I'm going to die. And if they had a master that was wicked, he wanted to keep the information from them. Keep them ignorant of the fact they're free. That's why Paul says, no, you're not. Hey, knowing this, knowing this. He said, listen, if you still think that your salvation has just equipped you just to get to heaven someday. No, salvation is for today. The chains have been busted. But listen, that master there in Kentucky maybe would have told him, hey, no, I don't know anything about any declaration. Are you sure? No, just look around. Everybody else is living like slaves. You're not free. And you come into church and you see everybody else defeated and you hear preachers that almost preach like, well, you can't do it. You're going to sin every day. Why? Why? You get to preaching like this, somebody comes, well, you don't believe in sinless perfection, do you? Well, wouldn't you like to try? Wouldn't it be great? Hey, the truth is, amen, there was people that were still slaves, acting like slaves on the 19th of December, a day after the, the, the dec- decree, the law legally freed everybody. But they stayed, either because they didn't know or the information was kept from them. You know, our adversary that I preached about Monday night, he wants to keep this information from you, and he has kept it from a lot of people. That's why Paul says, no, you're not. Don't you know this? Because you're united to Him and the Spirit has united you to Jesus Christ, what's true of Him physically is true of you spiritually. The same power that got Jesus Christ up from the dead will help me get over my anger. It'll help me to be free from that. It'll help you with your problem with your tongue and your gossip and your slander. It'll help you with your pouting and uh, uh, spells at the house. Huh? Things getting a little chilly in here. Hey, you want to be free from that, don't you? You can be. That information, the facts is what you have to have. Get the facts. Say, I don't feel dead. That's not what it's telling you. It doesn't matter. I don't care how you feel tonight. You say, well, I tell you, I, I know it's true, but I sure don't live like it. I don't care how you're living. That doesn't have any effect on verses 3 through 10. This is the truth of every born-again child of God. How many of you are born again? You know you say, put your hand up real high. I'm looking at a bunch of freed slaves in here tonight. Say, so, well, I still kind of feel like a slave. Yeah, but that's your fault. And that has no effect on the facts of this chapter. So we see the, we see the facts. Let's talk about the faith in verse 11. So after he's given you the facts, God always gives you facts before he calls upon you to believe anything. See, you got these people running around going, I just believe, I just believe. I ask him, what what do you believe? Some people believe that a Republican would save the country. You can believe that if you want to. Some people believe all kinds of things. God gives you truth to make you free, and he gives you facts to lay hold of. 
It worked that way when you got saved. What's the devil doing to unsaved friends and relatives and co-workers? He keeps them blind from the truth. Keeps them blinded from it. I mean, they can hear the gospel and hear the gospel. You can explain it. But until God opens their heart, they will not listen. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Well, this works the same way as a Christian. This is facts to be believed. Because, remember what I said Monday night? It's what I still say tonight. Your belief will affect your behavior. You cannot behave right, verses 12 and 13, until you believe right. Get your mind thinking clear. So he says in verse 11, Likewise, because this is true of Jesus Christ and true of every believer, you've died with him, you've been buried with him. Somebody says, well, it says that our old man is crucified. It means we're still dying. You don't bury people who are still dying. That would be a travesty. This man's been buried and you've been, you've been raised up to walk in newness of life. So likewise reckon, he says, ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a key verse right there. That's key. Reckon is an accounting term. In other words, I've given you the information, now you've got to make the calculation. I've given you the facts, now you have to put your faith in these facts. You need to understand, amen, it doesn't matter how I feel. It matters what God said. That's what's true of me. So I'm going to look at that and I'm going to reckon this. It is already true, but I'm going to believe it for myself that this is true of me. You understand, reckoning is, it's an act of faith. It's what it is. You think about Abraham back in chapter 4. Here's what it says about Abraham. What was he promised? Well, God told him, hey, go out here and look up at the stars. And Abraham looks up and he says, you, can you count all those? He says, uh, you're going to have more children, grandchildren, spiritually, physically. He goes, than all the stars that you see in heaven. And he says, I, I believe that. I believe that. And the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. And in Romans 4, it says this. Speaking of that very deal, he says, being not weak in faith, he considered not... See, the problem right here is a bunch of you are considering yourselves and say, well, yeah, preacher, but I, I, you don't understand the besetting sin problem I've had. You don't understand. I, that's good. That's good preaching. And I know one day I'll be free from this, but I can't be right now. There's just no way. You've been listening to the, you've been believing the devil's doctrine more than you have God's. You're considering your own strength and your own power. I talked to a young man who's in bondage to pornography. I said, have you ever tried to quit? He says, all the time. I, and I said, what do you find? He goes, I find that I can't. But you can through Jesus Christ. But you, you, can, you start considering you and your power and your willpower. Your willpower has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. He says this. He says that Abraham considered not his own body, now dead. In other words, as we heard the other night, Abraham's about 100 years old. Sarah's 90. They're, I mean, both of them. I mean, let's face it. She, her womb is dead. and Abraham's seen livelier days. And God says, hey, you're going to have so many. I mean, this is what he said. You know what? I, I sure don't feel like I can have more children. I certainly don't consider myself being able to do this in my own strength. And he couldn't have. But it says he considered not his own body. Quit considering yourself and how what you're going to do to overcome your problem, your sin problem. He says this, it says, 
when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider how dead her womb was. He didn't consider his age. He didn't consider how he felt or his strength level. He didn't say, well, let me go to the doctor and talk to him. They'll run some tests and see if this is even possible, Lord. No, it says he staggered not at the promise. What was he, what was he putting his faith in? He staggered not the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. In other words, God, if you said it, it's true. Whether I feel it, whether I can understand it, it's true because you said so. Hey, Romans 6 calls on us to do the same thing. It says sin shall not have dominion over you. You're no longer a servant to that. That power has been broken, and it's been broken in Christ Jesus. Have you believed on the Lord? Then you died with him. You were buried with him, and you rose again to walk in newness of life. You're freed from sin three times in that chapter. You are free from sin. That's a fact. Now believe it. You say, well, I've tried to believe. No, just believe it. And then he gives you a command in verse 12. That's where now after he tells you what to believe, to reckon, to calculate by faith to say is so. Then he says, now let not sin therefore. See that therefore what it's connected to? The facts of verses 3 through 10. The faith of verse 11 in the facts. He says, now let not sin therefore. Because of these truths, because of this power, we're talking about the power of the resurrection. The same power that got Jesus Christ out of the grave after being dead for three days is the same power that can get you up and walking right. I, I had an opportunity a few years back uh, to preach, well, preach or if you want to call it that, I took mostly questions from the floor. And it was over at... Uh, a college there in Danville. They've been around for 200 years, and it's the, the elite of the elite when it comes to intellectualism. And the religions professor called me and said, uh, would you be willing to come and, and tell us your experience? And he said, we have a Jewish rabbi one week. We have a Roman Catholic priest another. We have a Muslim cleric. I thought he was fixing to tell me a joke. You know, I got the Jewish, you know. <laughs> but he said, we got an extra week. And he said, we thought we'd get you in. I said, so you want a fire-breathing Hellfire, damnation, forked lightning guy. He said, that's you. That's what we want. And I remember one guy asked, he goes, do you take everything in the Bible literally? I said, uh, yes, except when it can't be taken literally. I said, when Jesus said, I am the door, I had about 60 students in there for two hours, Brother Joseph. It was amazing. And I mean, it, I was nervous. I was scared, scared, more scared than the people wearing like boxes of masks on their face because this was, this was out of my territory. But uh, the Lord was gracious, but I'm amazed at how, listen, you don't understand the Bible through intellectualism. Now, you can submit your intellectualism to God, He'll use it. But you don't learn that book because you're smart. Because they proved how non-smart they were. Because one guy said, so you, you take it literally. I said, yeah. I said, well, let me ask you. I said, what do you do? He goes, well, I'm a Presbyterian. And he says, and we take it literally in certain places and not literally in, in many places. I said, well, give me an example. He goes, well, for instance, we believe Jesus died and three days later rose from the dead, but we do not believe that Noah, he goes, built an ark. And I, my 13-year-old son, I brought him with me at the time. He was 13. Then I said, sit in the back. I want you to watch this. On the way home, I said, son, did you hear that? I said, this guy's going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And I said, and he believes a man can be dead for three days and get up, but a man can't build a boat and save his family from a flood. We got real problems in America. But the same power that got Jesus Christ out of the grave is the same power that is waiting to be unleashed in our hearts and lives. And you have to believe before you can behave. 
Now, here, here's the crux of the message. I'm going to give it to you right now. I, I was studying about this and preparing a message for church about this. And I'm thinking, is that right? You can't behave right until you believe right. Is that a, is that a true statement? And it was back in, uh, I guess back in February, we had some real bad weather come through in Kentucky or a lot of places. Snow, you know, we probably had, I don't know, how many inches of snow we get? We get six, four or five inches. It, we didn't get as much as we were hoping for, but we got about five inches of snow. There had been ice on the ground already. And uh, man, it was just a winter wonderland out there. And it was great. And uh, the kids, we were in, we'd been outside and all that stuff. We came in that night. We did a devotion. We played Uno. I schooled them in Uno. And then I said, now y'all go to bed. Amen. And they weren't wanting to go to bed. It's about 1030 at night. And they're trying to make excuses, Brother Joe, that they're not go to bed. And, uh, and I'm saying, no, 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 we're going to bed. It's this time. I'm tired. And then I'm thinking, man, you know, you only get this, this opportunity with all these knuckleheads just one time. And I said, I'll tell you what. So I got an idea. I said, everybody go put their clothes on. I said, put your scarves, your mittens on. I said, we're going outside. We're going to sled in the dark. I mean, there were people, there was stuff flying in every direction. Everybody's excited. We go outside and uh, we get the the sleds out. We get everything out. And there's a hill down in front of our house. There's a hill on our front yard. And we got a couple old mutt dogs uh, that we uh, bought a couple years ago. And uh, Jack and Jill's their names. Jack's the black dog and Jill's a white dog because we believe in equity and equality. And uh, I said, kids, we can't just buy a black one and not get a white one. We can't just get a white one out a black one. We, we got both. And because um, when they come to take your dad away, to, to, we're going to point to the cage and say, see there? See there? And so anyway, we get them out there. And uh, Emily said, can we, can we bring Jack and Jill down there? I said, sure. I said, take. Now, we've got, we've got collars on those dogs. Because uh, we have one of those, uh, don't tell Peter, but we got those invisible fences. I mean, you get out there, I put that sucker on death penalty because they're going to stay in my yard. I don't want these dogs running around. And you, you kind of play around at level six or five. They're going to leap through that. You put it on 11, okay? And uh, so I told him, I said, yeah, take their, take their collars off. They got those shock boxes, you know. So she takes the collars off. They're both, they've both been made free. And so I said, come on. And so we get down there. The kids are sliding down there. Hudson's trying to pretend like he's not having a good time because he's 16, but he's still having a blast, amen. And he's going, come on, Dad, let's go. And so we're sliding back and forth, and Jill is out there, the white dog. She is running up and down the road with us. I mean, she's leaping around. She's chasing the sleds. She's having a good time. I'm scratching her ears. She's running here, and she's running everywhere. And I'm thinking, well, where's Jack at? Where's, where's he at? And I hear, then I, I can hear him whining. Now I look up in the front yard and he's come right to the edge where the, the shock collar normally, you know. And Jack's going, and he's whining, you know, and I said, come on, Jack, come on down here. And he'll run, and when the kids go by, he runs along going, I mean, he's going crazy. And then I looked up and, I said, and, and they're getting all ready and, and Jack just starts doing circles, you know. I mean, he's losing his mind because he's going, they're having, the family's having so much fun down there. I want to come down too. And the master that owned him would say, come on, Jack, you can come down here too. Come on, buddy. Come on, you're free. I'm talking about you can't behave right until you believe right. That dog was as free. Both dogs had been made free. We are free in Christ. Both dogs had been made free. Listen, one believed it. And behaved accordingly. One didn't believe it, even though it was true. And they behaved accordingly. That's why maybe we need to get over this. Ah, I'm just old sinner saved by grace. I understand that. 
How about start saying, you know something? I was a sinner. And God saved me by his grace. Now I'm changed. I'm a saint. And I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God now. I got, I'm reconciled back to my creator. He has made me free. And if you start believing that, you just might start behaving like it's real. You know what Jack eventually did? He went back and forth till he was tired. And he convinced himself, I'll never be able to go down there. Even though it's off. That collar's off. Been made free. And the master's in. Come on, Jack. And he's up there going, I just can't. I just don't believe this. And you know what he finally did? He went up on the porch. You know what? We got a lot of Baptists in our churches coming in every Sunday morning. You watch the family having fun, shouting and rejoicing. You sit on the back pew going. Hey, Jack, you're free too, buddy. If you're in Christ, you're free. When you get to verse 12, when he says, let not sin therefore. He's telling you to behave a certain way in verse 12, but he's telling you what to believe in verse 11. And can I tell you something? Christians have been made free by Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 12 and 13, we're to yield ourselves to him. That's where the transformation takes place. That's where things change. See, you got to have the right information. And you got to have the right calculation. And then there's a transformation. Listen, you didn't have to convince Jill she was free. As soon as we took that collar off, she knew what that meant. I said, come on. And man, she went flying that tail flap. Now, both dogs are free. One was enjoying it. And one was not. But they still both belong to me. And I wanted Jack to enjoy himself. And no liberty. But he just couldn't get there. And I'm here to tell you that it says, yield yourselves. You know what that yielding is? Have you ever been on the highway? I know you have. I've I've driven your roads here the last three days. You got to yield. What's that mean? You put the brakes on, let someone get in front of you, and you pull in behind them. And the sweet Holy Spirit of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory, says, follow me. And you got to put the brake on and let him get in front. Submit yourselves to the Lordship. Is it okay to say that? Jesus Christ is our Lord. He asked the question, you call me Lord, Lord, doest not, why why callest me thou Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? He says, follow me. And we've been equipped to be able to follow him. And you can go through, you know, the, the trip through Romans 6, 7, and 8, and he talks about how that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We've been equipped to do that. You see, the law of sin and death is still in place. You just got to get a law that's higher than that. And it's the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ. I've seen, you know, you've seen the, probably heard the type of illustration like this, but you watch a kid with a kite, and that kite is subject to the law of gravity. Every time he throws it out there, there it goes. But if he gets to run along and the wind gets up underneath that kite and the law of lift is stronger than the law of gravity. Both are still operative. But that all of a sudden that kite gets up there and pretty soon, whoosh, it gets up there and it's way up there and it's just floating around up there. And the, the lift, that spirit has gotten, if you will, the wind has gotten up underneath it. 
And can I just tell you tonight as I close right here, we are living pretty puny Christian lives. And we, we need to realize that God didn't leave us down here to, to, to just trudge along until, as Brother James says in his book, until we get power washed at the rapture. How about getting, you know what righteousness brings? It brings peace. And you know, I, I'm going to tell you, I, the preacher said last night, Brother Knox says, hey, uh, I have not attained. Brother uh, Camilleri said, I've not attained. Can I tell you on Romans 6, I haven't attained. My, one of my sons, he reminds me, he said, hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he goes, ah, eh, never mind. And I said, wait a minute, you've been doing that a lot. Dad, can I ask you a question? And when I say, sure, you got my attention. He says, oh, never mind. And he's getting this. I said, no, you got to break this habit. man." I said, what's the problem? I said, why are you afraid to ask? He goes, ah, it's just going to make you mad. Ah, I don't want to be a mad dad, except when I need to be, okay? <laughs> it's like, the truth of the matter is, I don't want to have anger issues. I don't want to have, this is, I'm talking to the husbands right here. I don't want to have pouting issues. <laughs> the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Okay, but Colossians 3.19 says, and be not bitter. Against them. Okay, so what is that bitterness? I'll tell you how men show bitterness. They, they just quit talking. I'll show you. I ain't going to talk to you no more. Until I uh, need something to eat. And then... I you were Amen. I thought I was too. Amen. I'm getting a word that I need to move in over here. Amen. No, Hey, here's what I'm saying. I want to I be above that. I want to be that kite, amen, with the wind up underneath me, lifting me up. Sin shall not have dominion anymore. And it's up to me whether that's a reality in my day-to-day -day life or not. There is no sin pattern that you're hooked into. There is nothing you're doing, amen, that's going to change your justification. There is nothing you're doing that cannot be broken. The power has already been broken. If you serve sin, it's because you choose to. Not because you have to. And that Romans 6 tells the story. You're a new creature in Christ. You know what's amazing? God gives you what you were. He tells us what you are now. And then he says, now act like it. Ephesians 5, 8 says, you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. What's he say next? Walk as children of light. You are a child of light, whether you're letting your light shine or not, if you've trusted Christ. The doctrine says you are now a child of light. So because of that, act like it. Old preacher was in a uh, rescue mission. I remember reading and a, a drunk came forward and called on the Lord. And a couple of weeks later, he was in that same rescue mission and, and uh, he was in there washing his hands. And it was, uh, it was in that 20th century circuit riding preacher. And Dr. Upman said this drunk had called on the Lord and he said, I could see he had a long coat on. And he goes, I could hear the clinking of that bottle. And he goes, I knew he had already gone back nipping on that bottle. And he said, how you been doing? And he said, he wouldn't look him in the eyes. He said, I was washing my hands there in the restroom, that rescue mission. And he said, how you been doing? Whatever his name was, Bill. And he says, oh, I ain't nothing but old drunk. That's all I'll ever be. He said, no, you're not. You're a child of God. Now act like it. Behave like it. You got a new identity. Let me see your ID. My idea is I'm dead with Christ. I'm buried with Him, but I'm raised to walk in newness of life. That's my idea. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Now act like it. There is victory. I go to Victory Baptist Church 
And I want victory in my Christian life. Romans 6 is the chapter for us. The chapter for us.